0: Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that as we hear the cold wind howling outside, uh, we thank you for this building you have entrusted to us, that you have given us small things that we often take for granted, heating, lighting. Um, We thank you for the new windows you provided uh, over this uh, past year uh, to block out uh, all of this wind Lord, we think of, as we thank you for the creature comforts you've blessed us with here, uh, we think of our brothers and sisters all around the world who don't have anywhere close to that and are even persecuted and hunted down because of their faith. We pray that you would strengthen them this morning, that they would feel uh, a nearness of your presence and an empowering of your Holy Spirit today. We thank you for your word. Your word is power. Your word is life. It cuts us to the quick, it lays us bare before you, and we, we know that you can see into our very hearts and everything who, that we are, and we thank you that you love us anyway. I pray that as your word goes forth today, uh, that hearts would be strengthened, that hearts would be changed, that we would all be made more and more into your likeness. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. According to a Reader's Digest uh, online article published less than a month ago, here are some little-known unconventional uses for household items you probably already have. And according to the article, people from the publication personally vetted these claims. So I guess we can have reasonable hope that these actually work. First up, imagine that. Picture this. Late at night, you're hit with the baking bug, and you want to bake a nice, freshly baked loaf of bread. But you've used up all of your yeast and don't want to go out at night to the store. What do you do? Apparently, if you have some powdered vitamin C or citric acid and some baking soda, you can combine both of these ingredients and get the exact same result as yeast would give in bread. And as an added bonus, you don't need to give it extra time to rise before you stick it in the oven to bake. Now, similar to the previous scenario, say a bunch of your friends or family members have this great idea of crashing your place during the, uh, for a, a family get-together during the holidays. You reluctantly oblige, you're setting the table for the meal that day, and you gasp in horror as the one festive tablecloth you own has a giant grease stain in the middle of it from last year's holiday get-together. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm hearing from chuckles that this is not new to anybody here. Okay. Uh, apparently, if you rub some chalk on, into the grease stain and let it sit for a little while before laundering it, the, ch- the chalk soaks up the grease out of the fabric and then washes it away in the wash. If, as you're setting out your heirloom silverware for your Thanksgiving or Christmas meal, you realize that every single piece is tarnished, you can boil some potatoes, save them to mash for your meal, and stick your tarnished silverware in the potato water for an hour. Remove and rinse them, and that tarnish should have magically disappeared. Lastly, if you've invited company over for your Thanksgiving or Christmas meal and then realize that your kids or your pets or your husband have made your place stinky and you just had to cook fish the night before, don't spray toxic air fresheners around to try to cover it up. You can stick a bowl of common white vinegar in the middle of your affected room slash rooms for 30 minutes. The vinegar should have neutralized those odors in a safe and natural way. I think we've all learned something so far, right? Okay, And each of these unconventional uses for these everyday household items, having the knowledge of these hacks may prove highly beneficial in a pinch and free you from being in a bind. In a loose similarity, having the knowledge that Jesus reveals as the truth is what frees us from all of the loud, screaming lies of this world and provides the foundation for our peace and hope in the midst of this darkness and chaos. As we continue on in this conversation Jesus is having with the Pharisees and the rest of his people who have been challenging his authenticity and authority while they're all in the temple and still on the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, we continue to see Jesus revealing deep truths about himself, his deity, his relationship with God. Uh, The Father and what all of that means for us as his disciples. This morning's couple of verses we're looking at are no different. Last week we talked about how Jesus' confidence that God the Father would always be with him no matter what the circumstances, pain, and challenges were. As Jesus' followers and children of God, we also talked about how this extends to a certain degree to us as well. No matter the circumstances, pain, and challenges, we can have the same confidence that God, through his indwelling Holy Spirit, is always with us. He will always fill us with the peace we need, the wisdom we need, the comfort we need, the joy we need, and the strength, power, and boldness we need in every circumstance. We read at the end of last week's passage that there were several people at the temple that day that put some kind of faith in Jesus. How deep that faith went, we don't know, but they were at the very least open to hear what Jesus said. We take a bit of a break from the antagonistic challenges from the Pharisees this morning, for it's to these people who are at least listening to Him that Jesus turns to and says what we have in our verses this morning. So if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to John chapter 8. We're going to be picking up in verse 31. Uh, if you didn't, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Uh, please also turn to 8, John 8:31, 8, or look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. John chapter 8, verse 31. This is what we read. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. As pointed out by one biblical scholar, we find out at the end of this chapter that this is only a short-lived belief. Since by the time we get to verse 59, everyone there is ready to stone Jesus to death for what what he's been saying. As I brought up again last week, John tells us that Jesus knew what people were thinking and the intents of their hearts. He seizes upon the opportunity to spell out for those who were at least giving him the time of day what true discipleship actually meant and what that offered to them before the tide turned and they aligned with the Pharisees and seeking to kill him right then and there. These words are just as true for us today as they were back then. There is a prevalent belief in a lot of people that says that if you believe in the existence of God and you claim Christianity as your religion, that's good enough. You can go on living your life the way you think is best, and then at the end of all of it, no matter how you lived, your, your, lived that life, you just get to skirt past St. Peter at the pearly gates. And this prevalent belief, if you just believe with your head and in your heart in God, there's nothing else you need to do. And this doesn't need to affect anything else in your life. Really, what is at the heart of this nominal faith, or that you're just a Christian in name only, is the same belief that most of Jesus' Jewish listeners held. That same belief was that as long as you were born to a Jewish family or claimed that religion and you generally tried to follow God's laws, that was how you gained heaven. Swap out the word Jewish for Christian and it's the same exact lie that a lot of people today still believe. Jesus is setting the record straight in these words, not only to his original listeners, but to us today. It's not enough to claim the name of Jewish person or Christian. It's not enough to just believe in God and generally try to be a good person. It's not even about a religion's name or basic belief. It's not even claiming the name of faith of Christianity. That's not the point. Jesus doesn't call humans to be Christians. Some of you, should we walk out now? Jesus doesn't call humans to be Christians. Jesus calls humans to be his disciples. There's a huge difference. Simply claiming the name of Christian starts and usually ends there. You think you're covered and nothing else needs to happen. But becoming a disciple means and is an ongoing training period between Jesus as the Word of God and the Holy Spirit's transformation. It's an ongoing learning of, first of all, what's even in God's Word, and second of all, learning what that teaches you and how that changes you. Being a disciple of Jesus is a process. And a growth and a transformation in line with his word that lasts until the day we die or Jesus comes back for us. As counterintuitive as it may sound coming from the pastor of a church, it's not enough to just come to church. We come together as a church to worship God as his family, to mutually fellowship and strengthen one another in these dark days, and to learn from and make his word who we are as people. We must allow Jesus and his word to become who we are, not just to say, well, that was something new I hadn't heard before, and go on with our lives the way we always have. We must see and embody that we need to read and study God's word regularly in order to be spiritually sustained and fed. We must see it for what it truly is, the power of God at work in our lives. God's word isn't an after-dinner mint only to be popped when we feel especially stinky, weak, or spiritually lacking. God's word must be the meat and potatoes of our daily spiritual meals. It's the living power that that's what fills us, challenges us, convicts us, empowers us, and gives us the hope of going on another day in this world. All of this is wrapped up in Jesus' words to his listeners here, if you continue in my word. Meaning, Notice the word there, if you continue. It's a constant, everyday, continuous striving to know what God's word says and to study it accurately so that we can understand it accurately and make it who we are accurately. It's not if we claim Christianity, if we go to church, if we try to be a good person, that makes, it, makes us a disciple of Jesus. It's if we continue in a growing, transformative, faith-filled relationship with God and his word. In connection with what else Jesus has already said in this immediate context, along with taking the Bible as a whole, we know that it starts with repentance from our sin, a personal acceptance of Jesus as our savior from that sin, and a personal commitment of our lives to him as king. But that initial answer to God's call to faith in Jesus is then developed, it's then grown, and it's matured through continuing in his word, as he says exactly right here, and communing with him in prayer. Now this might be a bit of a macabre illustration, but a newborn baby must be fed regularly or he or she will not last very long on this earth, right? Likewise, just as we've had to eat something every day since the day we were born, we need to fill ourselves with God's word every day to sustain and empower us in this heartbreaking and painful world. This isn't even just a teaching from Jesus that says, if you wanna be my disciple and thus gain entrance into heaven, this is what you have to do to cover all your bases. That's not his point here. Along with everything else in scripture, this is, once again, for every good for our lives. If we become a true disciple of Jesus by committing ourselves to learning in head, in heart, and in making who we are his word, then we are given another gift beyond that. We are given the truth. We are given the truth. That's hard to come by these days, isn't it? Verse 32. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We've all heard this verse before. We've all heard a version of this verse before who is jesus speaking to in the immediate context of our passage gentiles or jewish people jewish people right as noted by one biblical scholar in the jewish understanding of the truth it was god who is the definition and embodiment of truth how are the jewish people to know what truth was by what god revealed to them In the Jewish, or what we have as the Old Testament, scriptures. Jesus is specifically referring to his words in connection to and furthering of what God had already revealed in his word. When we continue our initial faith of repentance... And in Jesus, by developing, growing, and maturing that faith through the reading and study of God's word and the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit, we will know the truth, and that truth will make us free. This this verse or versions of it has been so wildly taken out of context over the thousands of years since it was written and in recent times made to mean the complete opposite of its original meaning. These days we'll often hear the phrase, well, the truth will set you free and it will mean anything and everything as to whose truth that is and what that version of truth is. But in its original context, what truth is it only referring to? The truth that is God. And therefore, the truth of God, and therefore the truth from God. It has nothing to do with your truth, or your friend's truth, or some kid's truth on TikTok. God is the only truth. Jesus has revealed to us that it's only through him that we can even access God as the truth. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. There is one way. I am the way, Jesus says. There is nothing we can do To have access to God as the truth except by repenting of our sins, recognizing that Jesus paid for our sins with his substitutionary death. Thereby accepting him as the savior from those sins and committing the rest of our lives to him as the king and as the authority over our lives. That gives us the only access we could possibly have to God as the truth. There is only one truth, and that truth is God, and that truth is found in his word. And since what it refers to is God's truth and not our truth, we simply and logically, everybody's paying attention, right? We simply and logically are not allowed to interpret it based on our personal views or experiences. You're not allowed to. I'm sorry. God's word is not a free-for-all where anyone and everyone can form their own opinions about it, reject what they think is now irrelevant, or doesn't match up with their progressive agenda, or read their own experiences into it. How are we to interpret it and understand it then? We need to seek to interpret it and understand it as it was originally intended. And therefore, seek to interpret it and understand it in the most accurate and logical way possible. We talked a couple of weeks ago about where we're starting the foundation of our worldview on. A human foundation or God as the foundation. If we start with a human foundation, then of course the Bible is wide open to subjective interpretation and every understanding under the sun. But if we start with God as the foundation, just as with everything else in this life, then we see the Bible as God's word given to us by way of the Holy Spirit working through humans to give us his truth and we handle it carefully as such. Handling it carefully means to handle it accurately, to ensure we understand it and portray it in the way God intended, since it's his word and still intends. People today place such a huge emphasis on science and what science tells us. Why? Because in that understanding, science can give us an accurate understanding of of our world and universe. If you went around telling everyone that every physical thing was not made up of molecules and atoms, no one would listen to you. The scientific method was used to rigorously study and prove that that is the most accurate way to see all physical things. So why is rigorous study to prove what is the most accurate way to understanding the Bible just tossed out the window? Because there's a double standard as simple as that there's a double standard but in fact god's word itself prescribes the most accurate understanding of it to be the only way to understand it paul writes to pastor timothy be diligent to present yourself approved to god as a worker who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth So when we continue in God's word, following our commitment to Jesus, we get two treasures. We get God as the truth, developing his relationship with us, and the Holy Spirit enlightening to know his word and use it to transform our lives. And we get God's accurate truth for every specific situation, dilemma, or question. It sets us on the straight path of what truth actually is because it's coming straight from the source. This is why it's so crucial to handle God's word carefully and accurately. Because it teaches us what his truth is if we handle it incorrectly, force wrong theology onto it, or twist it to agree what we've already chosen to think about any given subject, we're believing and promoting inaccurate and incorrect truth. And any truth that is not pure is what? Lies. And lies and deceptions are what Satan is a master of. He knows how to twist anything God says and make it either not say that or seem too judgy or seem completely irrelevant. If we know that Satan is the father of lies, which we know from God's word that Jesus has already revealed, then again, what that makes having as accurate understanding of God's truth as possible so crucial to who we are as his disciples. Picking and choosing different verses out of context to support your already determined view on happiness, sexual relationships, identity, marriage, money, and life is not seeking an accurate understanding. You're starting with a human and finite foundation. Starting with God as the foundation means we start with seeking to accurately understand it as his word was written. If you're unsure of how to do this, or you've never heard of how to do this, here's a brief and basic crash course in Bible study. As you're reading your Bible, you always start with prayer that the Holy Spirit would guide you to God's truth. Then you start with the immediate context and work your way out from there to how or if it agrees with the Bible as a whole. Or, conversely, you can start with the Bible as a whole and work your way to the specific verses. That will tell you most of what you need to know about those verses and what they mean. That's why you'll always hear me say, context, context, context. For instance, what is Jesus saying immediately before or after certain verses? What are those verses in relation to the rest of the chapter? What are those verses in relation to the rest of the book? What's the genre of the book? History, law, poetry, prophecy, or letter? And does that understanding agree with the rest of the Bible as a whole? If an understanding does not agree with something else in scripture, then guess what? We got to start all over again that's why knowing first of all what's in God's Word and what is not in God's Word to to begin with is so important in addition having a theologically solid commentary or study Bible can help with any cultural linguistic societal or setting details that could be helpful in understanding the passage but in short any truly God-honoring understanding of his word as his truth and as Jesus' disciples must start with God as the foundation. Him being the embodiment of truth and knowing that his word will therefore always be relevant and always be valuable as that source of truth. Not only do we get God as the truth and a relationship with the embodiment of that truth as Jesus' disciples, but we never have to wonder or be confused about his truth in this world of personal truths, confusion, and chaos. We can know the history of the world, especially how God's creation, the universal flood, and the Tower of Babel explains the observed evidence of what's all around us in this universe well more than atheistic evolution can. We can know that God created marriage and sex, what God created marriage and sex to be. That sex is only to be enjoyed within a marriage relationship. That his created marriage relationship was always only to be between one man and one woman with specific gender roles in direct connection with procreation. And that any other so-called truth, identity, orientation, or gender view is just simply sin. No matter how much people want to disagree with that. We can know that every life God has created at conception, all the way up to death, that he is the lone authority over that life, and that no human has the right to end that life outside than that of the calling of a soldier, no matter how unloving people claim that is or claim is their decision. We can know that the life of a disciple of Jesus was not meant to be one of happiness and easiness we can know that everything we are is meant to glorify god and not ourselves personally financially with our time sexually and with the way we're raising our families we can know that while this life will be heartbreaking that god can and will bring us healing peace and yes even joy We can know how we can be restored to God, receive his forgiveness for our sin, be saved from the condemnation of hell, and be given a thriving and growing relationship with him as his adopted children. We can know that as children of God, he will take care of our everyday needs. We can know that there is spiritual warfare going on all over us and all around us, That Jesus is already victorious over the powers of darkness, that the Holy Spirit within us is greater than the evil in the world, and that God is fighting these battles for us. We can know that death is not something to be feared, but is only a doorway to being in the presence of Jesus and eternal peace and joy. All of this and so much more is meant to set us free to set us free from the condemnation from our sin, to set us free from sins and addictions, to set us free from the darkness of depression and debilitating fear, to set us free from confusion about any given topic or how we should see ourselves, to set us free from the worldliness, hopelessness, and chaos that only this world can give, and to set us free from the lies of the enemy. We have been given the truth already. And that truth has been given to set us free from every bondage, chain, hopelessness, Darkness, a manifestation of evil that seeks to destroy us. We've been given God as the truth. We've been given Jesus as the only way to that truth. And we've been given God's word as the revelation of God to know his truth on every subject and question. Don't seek it from anywhere else in the world, for the world is filled with the lies of the kingdom of darkness. We've been set free. From the world. Why do we still try to seek out any so-called truth from the world? Seek it directly from God and his word. For any other source is open to corruption and lies. The Holy Spirit and God's word are what are sanctifying us. That is cleaning us up more and more each day. The Trinitarian God and his word are all we have And it's all we need. Nothing else. As Jesus was referring to continual disciples, both in his his original conversation and to us today, let us take Jesus' words about his disciples, both then and now, to embody and live out each day. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth your word is truth let's pray heavenly father we thank you for these two verses but so much wrapped up and so much that can be dug out of these two verses we thank you that you are the truth that your word is the embodiment of what you have chosen to reveal to us as your truth and we can be fully confident in it as the truth the world will continue to go on the way that it is, always railing against the word of God, always saying it's too judgy, it's too irrelevant, that we can reject certain parts of it or twist it to, to make it agree with different agendas. But we know that your pure word of God is the only truth we need. And I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit to seek the most accurate understanding of it so that we don't just know the information, but we can make it who we are. We thank you for the transformation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.